This old world is a bold world and a new world for me. Stars, when you shine, you know how I feel. Scent of the pine, you know how I feel. Freedom is mine. I know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life. Hi, this is Reno Lovison, executive producer at chicagobroadcastingnetwork.com. And I am here with, and no kidding, one of my very good friends, Richard Damien, who I have known for, well, let's say quite a long time. Richard and I have been friends since we were kids, and we'll talk a little bit about that. He is a master energy healer and intuitive life coach. He's also a longtime actor and performer. And he is currently in the process of producing a play based on his life called A Monk in the World, which is also the name and title of his book. So we're going to talk about that within the context of Richard's experience as a pretty much lifelong Chicago and having grown up in Chicago. And we're going to talk about his return to Chicago, but also the times that he spent in New York City and Los Angeles and other places. And uh, he's with us live today from uh, the theater district in New York City. And uh, welcome, Richard Damien. Thank you, Reno. It's so great to see you. It's awesome to see you and uh, yeah. nice to spend this time together. So as I alluded to, let's see, Richard uh, grew up in Chicago on the far south side, as I did too. I grew up in Pullman, which I've mentioned on several occasions on this show. Mm -hmm. And Richard grew up about three, you know, I can't believe it, but it was only about three miles away. South uh, Shore in, Gardens. Yeah, South, South Shore Gardens, aka sort of Pill Hill, though right at uh well near near it near it not officially in pill hill but okay near it. but uh but richard's neighborhood was the far south end of south shore near say 95th and um mm -hmm. and stony island roughly and um and we'll talk a little bit about that um and i know you did not have a a great experience your high school experience starting out at bowen but you did ultimately transfer to uh nicholas sen on the north side which is also my wife julie's alma mater as you well know but our listeners might be interested to know so that's a little bit of our chicago connection so richard why don't we start with um well, you know, growing up on the, on the South Side in, in Chicago, and was that a good experience for you? And what, what do you remember that you liked? And what would you like to okay. share about that? Well, what I remember that I liked is my father for a while was in the restaurant business, and he had a hot dog joint on Stony Island. Oh, he, I don't think I knew. Oh, the hot diggity dog. Okay. <laughs> and I remember when I started kindergarten, he had that. I went to Joseph Warren 
elementary. And uh, <clears throat> he would pick me up, you know, and then drive down. Th that was at uh, 91st and Jeffrey. Okay. And then he would drive me down to Stony Island, wherever it was, 87th and Stony Island, something like that, where his hot dog joint was. Okay. So I kind of enjoyed that, but it also was kind of, uh, you know, in those days there was a lot of grease, you know, <laughs> the fries, and I remember that smell of the grease. Yes, okay. But I, you know, I've never known you to eschew a French fry, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I try to stay away from them, but it's so hard. It's so hard. So that's exciting. See, I mean, this is great. We're having this conversation, and I learned something new. I really had no mm -hmm. idea. I, you know, I, of course, I know your dad, Ben Rosenthal, as mm -hmm. a uh, as a um, a writer, a playwright, and right. we'll talk a little bit about that. But I had no idea he was a hot dog vendor on 87th <laughs> and Stony Island. That's fantastic. So good. Yeah. Any other things on the South Side that you want to? But remember, uh, Kitty Land on 95th Street. Did you ever go there? Yes, and I wondered, I thought about it this morning as I was thinking about talking to you today, and it seems to me you were close enough to walk there. Did you actually walk there? Sometimes We walked to Hillman's, which was the, okay. yeah. the grocery store yep. there, and there was like a coffee shop next to it. Okay. So my mother and I wa walked there when I was very little, because we were 91st. We went under the viaduct. Mm -hmm. At Stony Island. Yeah, or well, no, uh, Jeffrey. No, what? It wasn't even Jeffrey. Was that Jeffrey? I think so. Okay. But whatever it was, it was like five blocks to get right. to the Viaduct. And then we walked through the Viaduct and there was Kitty Land and Hillman's and the bowling alley. <laughs> remember the bowling alley? No, I don't. I do remember Hillman's because my mom liked to shop there periodically. It was a little out of our neighborhood. But, you know, that was yeah. my, my mom, you know, grew up in South Chicago. So, you know, where you lived was between where we lived and where she right. grew up. And so that Hillman. And Tops. Tops was the name of the coffee shop. Oh, okay. Tops. Awesome. Yeah. And so, so yes, yeah, so I wondered about Kitty Land yeah. and I wondered if you were actually able to walk over there. But you say it was uh, uh, Hillman's was the easier walk. Yeah. They, yeah. I, I think Kitty Land was further west. Uh, west. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. And then um, that one thing I have to say about Hillman's is the, what I absolutely loved there were those cookies that I think were chocolate on the bottom. They had a piece of marshmallow on top. Of <laughs> yes. And that they had coconut. Yes. So whoever went there, my mom had to buy me at least uh, a couple of those. So. Yeah, I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's good. So that's, uh, you know, probably, I mean, that's great. It's nice. You know, I have a, a number of listeners who grew up on the South side or from South shore and people always enjoy sort of feeling that little nostalgic feeling, mm -hmm. of, you know, whether it's remembering that cookie or a, a ride at Kitty land, you know, it's always fun to, to think about that. So uh, more importantly though, we came to know each other uh, through our theater endeavors as, as young children. We met at uh, the Jack and Jill players which uh, you obviously know, but for our listeners, um, the Jack and Jill Players was a theater group that was uh, uh, performed for and by children, which was an unusual situation. And the theater was at 218 South Wabash, uh, just near Wabash and Adams. And when I first joined, um, I don't think, I think you were on the road with Oliver and I heard about you. I think Mr. Adams, who was our, our mm -hmm. director, producer, owner of the theater, you know, was telling me about this kid who I think also grew up on the South side and he was away right now and traveling, doing Oliver. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that time? 
Well, I, I started Jack and Jill when I was seven in 1961. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I loved it. And I loved how, you know, it was kids doing these shows. And then eventually we did, you know, full length Broadway musicals, all done by kids from age, you know, five to 18, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Very ambitious. Sure. And uh, then with Oliver, uh, I kind of had a dream, a vision that I was going to be in that show after I saw a scene from it on Ed Sullivan. And I told my parents, I'm going to be in that show. So my father wrote a letter to David Merrick, the producer in New York, and we got a response saying, when the show comes to Chicago, when we're looking for replacements, we'll contact you. So Amazing. two years later, they did. It was playing at the Schubert yep. on Monroe, which is now called something else. What is the Schubert? The cat, Not the Cadillac. The, the Niederlander? Is, is that, that what it's called? Yeah. Okay, I know it's I no should, longer. No, Mr. Theater Review. You think yeah, I you are the reviewer of reviewers. I don't have your memory to remember what's what, so. But it was on Monroe off State Street. Right, yeah, yeah, the and, Niederlander, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so they had like 200 little boys there. I was 11, I was 10 at that time, okay. auditioning. And uh, so I was the one that got picked out okay. of the, all the little boys. So my dream came true. And my mom and I traveled around the country for six months doing the show. And then it played back in New York for two months at the Martin Beck Theater. So it was really a wonderful experience. And then I didn't want to leave. I didn't want it to end. I'm sure. I came back to Jack and Jill, which is where I met you. Yeah. I saw you as Kurt in The Sound of Music, which was the current Jack and Jill production. Oh, you saw me at... at doing it at Jack and Jill or yes just, you know, I, didn't, I didn't see I saw you at Mill Run also okay but this was wait this is 1965 okay right before Mill Run right and uh so I saw you and I somehow met you after that okay you know yeah. you but you were Kurt yeah and then Mr. Adams said hey you want to you know because the cast changed at every performance which was unusual for right, absolutely, yeah. So we would often meet on stage, having never even rehearsed. Right. <laughs> you know, it would just be, oh, you know. And Mr. Adams said, like two weeks later, he said, "Hey, you want to play the captain?" You know, I was only uh, eleven years old, <laughs> and he said, "Cheryl Banish is playing Maria. You want to play the captain?" Yeah. So I had to memorize the lines in one day, and then oh, I was the captain, even though I was, I know. you know, short. It's like they didn't care about you know, how you looked, what age you were, what height you were. It's like everyone got a chance, right? Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. And people- And all races too, which yeah. was very unique at that time. It was completely interracial. Way ahead of the curve on that. And, right. and to have uh, the Von Trapp family might be comprised of any number of ethnic groups, you know, and uh, it was great. So we, we had a wonderful experience. It was, uh, it was, an opportunity to learn so much repertoire, uh, oh, yeah. repertoire, you know, as well as music repertoire, and uh, and to like you said, have those um, those situations where you know, hey, this weekend you're going to be so and so, learn the lines and be ready and be on stage, and and somehow we would pull it off, and you know, I'm sure we were, uh, some of these performances were absolutely crazy, but uh, but everyone I know who attended. A Jack and Jill performance um, always has fond memories of it, and yes. we played for virtually every Girl Scout in Chicago because <laughs> right. 
Saturday performances were comprised of typically about 150 to 200 Girl Scouts in the audience. And, uh, and it was wonderful. So, and Julie, again, was a Girl Scout and remembers well going to Jack and Joe. Julie went, Julie oh, went yeah. there. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Julie, some... Reno's wife, I graduated high school with her. Right. I was around her. I wasn't really friends with her, but I had, I met her. Mm-hmm. I think she saw me in the theater department at Sen. I'm sure. So we performed for the whole school, but uh, I wasn't, you know, friends with her, but I was around her. And then years later, I find out that Reno married her. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it's, yeah, so many times that we've, uh, our lives have, you know, touched base or, or we've, you know, cross paths. And I think that's great because, you know, it was a long time when we didn't see each other yes. for many, many years. And then I'll, I'll go to that right away is that, you know, then uh, your mother, bless her, Shirley, who lived to be 101 One and a half and, and a half. And uh, I ran into her when she was living at the Breakers on Sheridan Road. I was there for an event at uh, and she was one of the um, ambassadors uh, ambassadors yeah people who would sort of greet people when they came mm-hmm. for the event and so on and so forth and i looked at her she was all of 80 something at that point probably in her 80s but i looked at her and she heard the little tag said shirley and i thought oh my god that's shirley rosenthal i said uh, you know she looked exactly the same as i remembered her when we were really yeah uh, i mean to me i mean i just knew it was wow her. and i just went up to her and i said hello and she looked at me like do I know you and I said my name's Reno and she was like oh my god you know she just hugged me and you've got to call Richard you've got you know and then that's when when we became reacquainted which was you know probably 20 years ago now something like we went to that I'm forgetting the name of it the coffee shop on Broadway and uh not Wellington the other block that I lived on what was that what's the one block north of Wellington I don't know I thought was it La Peep that we were is that where we started having our periodic go? Uh, no, first, first, we went to that coffee shop. It was like two blocks south of Belmont. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then it wasn't La Peep. It was the other egg place. Um, oh. I can't remember. Oh, Yoke. Yoke. Yoke later on was our place. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. diversity. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, Anyway, so yeah, it was just great. And, you know, your mom was, uh, it was great to see her and to get reacquainted with both of you. And then, of course, you did a number of uh, performances there at the Breakers for, for the folks there, which I had the good fortune to videotape for you. And, uh, and that, was, that was a lot of fun. And in fact, um, the opening number that I played for this mm-hmm. uh, interview um, was one of the acapella numbers from, oh. from one of our performances. So and uh so anyway so that uh, your performances rather but the videos that i that i made so let's see what else let's let's get into your um your your life a little bit here and and of course um the fact that you're a, a master energy healer and intuitive coach so why don't we start with just telling me mm-hmm. a little bit about you know what that means what that means is that i'm able to move energy through people's bodies and around people's energy field in such a way that they can let go of negativity that they're holding on to, for instance, uh, experiences of rejection, abandonment, disappointment. We all carry stuff. You know, we're all sensitive human beings. 
And what happens is the energy kind of glom, gloms on us and permeates. And until we are free of that energy, it's more difficult to receive love and support and success because we're carrying around a lot of negativity and we may not even know it consciously, but we may feel that something's blocking me. Right. So instead of like going to a therapist where you analyze it, I'm able to actually move the energy up and out and bring people in a state of alignment so they can make positive changes in their life. Great. And uh, yeah. yeah. So how does that manifest itself? Do you meet people individually? And I, I know you also meet people by phone, right? Yes, by phone and sometimes virtually and uh, in person. It doesn't have to be in person. I've done sessions with people all over the world in Israel and Bali and Germany and you know, they don't have to be in the room with me, but they experience the benefit of a shift in their energy. And then being an intuitive life coach, I also can identify what I see blocking them, what caused it. And I give people tools so that they can manifest more and more of what they desire in their life. So I combine the healing. It's like being a life coach that's very intuitive and a healer and combining the two. Great. And people, of course, can learn more about that by going to richarddamien.com, and that's D-A-M-I-E-N, D-A-M-I-E-N.com, richarddamien.com, and you can learn more about what Richard does there. And you'll also see that there is a book on that website, and that book is called A Monk in the World, which I think is a, a great description of you. But uh, why don't you tell me how that happened? And it also has that great cover of mm, you sitting I in love the cover. Times Square, right? It is awesome. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how did you arrive at that uh, title name and uh, what is, what, what's in the book that people might get benefit from? Okay, well, I arrived at the title many years ago. Uh, I was following a guru from India. And for a while I thought, hey, I wanna be a monk. I wanna be a Swami. I just felt so high from the meditation. And I was like, wow, this is great. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. So I went to the ashram, which was in the Catskills in New York. And I met with the guru and her swamis. And I asked, you know, can I become a swami? Can I do this? And I was told, no. <laughs> Quite become no more, they said, no more monks, no more swamis, become a monk in the world. And I didn't really understand what that meant. But later on, I realized it meant bring your spirituality out in the world, be involved in the world with people, with society, and don't exclude yourself in an ashram. You know, be out there with people in the world of relationships. Mm -hmm. So then eventually, I wrote a book called A Monk in the World, which basically combines my different lessons that I've learned in such a way that I can share them with people about creativity, transforming fear into creativity, what your personal power is, uh, the secrets of prosperity, many different things that people can tangibly use in their life, which it's almost like a shortcut in a way because I share about it, but then I give people specific practices they can do and people report that they get benefit. Yeah, well, I know that. And 
And in fact, you mentioned something which, you know, um, again, people should uh, understand, you know, we have uh, a business relationship as well in this, in the fact that I've done a number of videos for you. Right. Yep, thank you. And one of the things that you mentioned is uh, a video that we did um, where you talked about transforming fear into positive energy. And I think that is a wonderful video. And again, I would invite listeners to go to richarddamian.com and look at that video because I think, um, to me, it's very much the essence of who you are because you have worked with a lot of creative people over the years. And, and I, I would go so far as to say that that's very much your, your target audience or your signature audience are, are other performers. You understand where they're coming from. You, you understand their energy. I think that video speaks to something that a lot of mm. people, creative uh, arts um, and performing arts can, can relate to. So why don't you talk a little bit about how the intersection of your of your artistic self and your spiritual self and your, you know, uh, and how that, how that all works. Well, for a while I thought I can't do my acting and singing anymore. I'm just going to go into the healing and the coaching. And then I kept attracting all these actors, singers, dancers, writers, painters, artists, directors, Academy Award winners, you know, it's like all these people started coming to me. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm in that world. I'm still connected with them, but I'm supporting them in doing their thing. You know, I'm sure. the back, I'm behind them, supporting them in manifesting their creative desires. And then I realized, what about me? So I became what's called a shadow artist. Okay. Where I, I wasn't doing my own creative work. I was just empowering others to do theirs. And then I realized, Richard, you can do both. So that's when I started singing again, like at the breakers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I was guided to write a musical about my life, also called A Monk in the World. Right. Which I wrote the book music and lyrics for, and it was performed under a different title in Nantucket Island. And now it's being workshopped and developed for production next year. Yeah, and, and that's what I and that's what I yeah. want to talk about next. So we, you know, uh, again, uh, I, I, we talked earlier about the fact that you know we had viewed the video of the original production uh, right. together, and uh, and so why don't you talk a little bit about how that um, transformed and where it's at now and okay. what the future of that's going to be? Well, originally it was called Almost a Child Star. Right. And I showed the, the video. You're one of the few people I showed it to. And you were very encouraging, which I thank. I thank you. Great. And then a, a very well-known casting director who was a client of mine knew I had done that show. And she said, can I see the video? And I said, sure. And then she met with me and said, you've got to do this show. And we've got to rework it and you know, expand it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. She said, it's got to be out there. And then one of my clients is Susan Stroman's associate. Susan Stroman is a very famous uh, director, choreographer, won five Tony Awards, like for the producers, Young Frankenstein, Contact, Oklahoma, The Music Man. Uh, You know, she's really well known. And I had an inspiration to ask this gentleman named James Gray, if he would direct it. So he said, 
yes, he said, but we need to redevelop it. I didn't realize that a director in musical theater is like a collaborator and they work with the playwright and composer on the material. I, I thought the director just directs. Oh yeah, no, you know, well, I suppose it's easy to believe that. Um, you know, I will mention too, there's a couple of good books that I read over the last couple of years. And one was- um, um, Some Enchanted Evening. No, um, no, 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 it wasn't, that, you're close, but it was uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein. It was yeah, called. I thought that's the name of it, okay. No, it was another song. But anyway, and it's it's on okay. uh, it's on our on the website chicagobroadcastnetwork.com. You can see about it. But it really goes; they really go into the nitty gritty of what goes yes. on behind the scenes, as does um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's book, where he mm. talks a lot about all of the behind the scenes stuff. And it's very enlightening to anybody who's interested in in theater production. They really should read both of those books. Yes, um, and I and we have it here. Uh, Want me to tell you the title in one minute? Uh, it's something okay. wonderful, isn't it? Something wonderful. Something wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so what you learn from those uh, from those behind the scenes books, of course, is what a collaborative process it really right. is, and that um, you know everyone almost has an equal say. The person who often gets sort of kicked to the side is the writer the person who had the original vision you know if you look at the original vision to what the what the show actually turns out to be it's often almost indistinguishable from the original but it everybody plays their part and that's you know that's the beautiful thing about theater I think that's what you and I learned growing up I, I know right. it has served me well over the years to know people talk a lot about team sports but I can't imagine that theater is any worse or any better when it comes to learning what it means to be part of a team. Because, mm -hmm. you know, as we say, there's no small parts and right. everybody has, you know, no, no matter what your seemingly insignificant ca contribution is to the process, it's all part of making the whole thing work. And, um, and of course, this is what happens as you're seeing, uh, you know, even on, on the highest level, which is the highest level being the production of the, of the show, right. uh, the writing of it and the, and, and staging of it. So uh, interesting to see that you're in that process. And, and I hope that uh, I hope the vision is continuing along the lines of what you hoped. Yeah. I, it's the wonderful thing about James, the director is that he puts out his ideas and he's very mercurial and things just come to him and He'll throw things at me, but he always says, you tell me if you think it will work. You tell me if this is where you want to go. But maybe we can go there and maybe we'll find that doesn't work, but there's like a little seed in there that yeah, does work. Yeah, just one little nugget that you right. eat that just makes a big difference. Um, of course, your, your production is a little bit different or unique in the sense that it is very personal. And um, I don't know if the if it is progressing in another direction, but it seems to me like this is a play that will be for you to perform and unlikely that someone else will perform. I mean, it, this is a, a sort of a one man show. A one man autobiographical, autobiographical memory. Yeah. yeah. But it could possibly be done by someone else because I've learned through one of my clients, Nalaja Sun, who won many awards doing one-person shows. She performed in Chicago at uh, 
that theater across from the water tower. What's that called downtown on Michigan Avenue? She did her show there yeah. and off Broadway and around the world. Yeah. And then eventually other people started doing her show all over the world. And then I realized, yes, I want to do it. And it's my message to the world of hope and inspiration, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But uh, that I can have someone else do it. And I'm totally open to that. Great. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah, theater's about. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and it's interesting because some theater is about uh, a play that goes on and on and has longevity mm -hmm. and other things. But, you know, art, art uh, in general sometimes is, uh, is more ephemeral in the sense that, you know, it's, it's just to be enjoyed mm -hmm. this moment you know, and uh, doesn't necessarily have to take on, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to exist into the future and so on. I mean, it's, it, it can be very much just for the moment. So mm -hmm. uh, whichever way your production turns out, I'm sure it will be enjoyable to those who are able to enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to it. Do we have an idea when this might actually appear on stage? The idea is sometime next year. And of course, with theater, you know, it's about the funding. Mm -hmm. It's all about the money. Sure. And yeah. with COVID, you know, I actually was supposed to, I had an offer to do it at a theater company in upstate New York. And then COVID hit and they, you know, canceled the whole thing. So now it looks like one person shows might be more desirable because they're less expensive and safer. Well, you don't have a whole lot of people breathing in right. the space. Right. <laughs> or you, breathing so, at the audience. Breathing at the audience and breathing at each other. So I think right. there's something to be said for that. And of course, they have um, increased in popularity over the years, uh, you know, in recent time, because I think they're easy to stage, easier to stage. Mm -hmm. And um, so. And less expensive. And less expensive. Yeah. So yeah. I think it'd be great. And, you know, you could always do it. I'm sure as a as more of a uh, concert as well, if it came down to it, right? Possibly. Maybe. Possibly. Okay. Yeah. So we'll learn more about that in subsequent uh, sessions with Richard over the years, <laughs> or I'll update my listening audience as I learn more about about where you're headed on that. Uh, again, I want to remind people that we're having a conversation here with uh, Richard Damien, who is the author of A Monk in the World, soon to be a one-man show by the same title. Richard is a master energy healer, a, an actor and performer, born in Chicago, lived in Chicago off and on over the years. So tell me a little bit more about your last experience. Tell me, tell me one minute first about your dad. Uh, and his uh, some of his theater productions. I know he, what, okay. what a couple of his plays. Yeah, he kind of got into playwriting through my acting because mm -hmm. he was writing novels before that. And then he joined the Playwright Center, which used to be on the corner of North and Wells. Sure. And it burned down. And then they put that complex there with the movie theaters Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but it burned down. It used to be there. It was very funky. Mm -hmm. But he was like, he realized I have something I need to learn. And the Playwright Center of Chicago really provided like a workshop for playwrights. And you did a reading. 
and then the other playwrights in the group would discuss your work. And then if they felt it was worthwhile, they'd give you a production. So he had several productions there. Mm-hmm. And then he had an opportunity to do an equity showcase of a play he wrote called Upcar, which he did at a theater that used to be a church on the north side. And it co-starred the actor John Panko. Oh, okay. Nice. It was his, I think, first equity showcase or whatever. Uh, yeah. John Panko was in, what was that show he was in with Helen Hunt? Or, uh, anyway, he was in a famous TV show and he's done a lot of, and he did Amadeus on Broadway. Oh, okay, yeah. He, he's had an amazing career. So he played Frankie, the son in my father's play. And my father won the Joseph Jefferson Citation for best, you know, original play done in that form, not in a major theater. Okay, nice. And then he did one at the at the theater building one time, I think, because I was, uh, is that what it's called, theater building? Uh, so, but, uh, you know, I, I still lament um, that I was in one of the multiplex theater thing, you know, live theater places that have, and, and I saw a placard and it said, you know, um, whatever the play was, Ben Rosenthal, and I thought, but I, I didn't know him as a playwright. And but at the back of my you mind, saw you saw a placard there. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, you know, and to this wow. day, I wish I had stopped in to see what was going on there. But um, yeah, he anyway. was a very good playwright. I wish he had accomplished. He came very close to having his shows produced on Broadway, but didn't happen. And then he wrote screenplays, which were almost produced in Hollywood. Yeah. But didn't happen. So he but came it's very close. You had a lot of support and theatrical support from your family. And of course, right. your mom was a performer as well. She was a dancer and choreographer and won talent contests and beauty contests. Yeah. So, so that's great. So great family. So let's see. Let's conclude with a little bit more about Chicago. Um, tell mm-hmm. me, let's see, your latest experience. Now, you just recently are back in New York. Just how long has it been now? Three years? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Okay. And so prior to that, you were living in Chicago. Living for... in Chicago. The last time for five and a half years. Five and a half years. And I was focused more on taking care of my mother. Yeah. Yeah. At the Breakers. I didn't live with her, but I was one of her caregivers. Yeah, that was great. And that's where we got to spend some time and have some, our periodic lunches and touch base and stay in touch, which was great. Uh, tell me what, um, tell me a little bit about some of your theater experiences in Chicago that were memorable. Give me okay, two. one of my favorite, my maybe my two favorite were at Goodman Theater. Uh, one was doing Macbeth with Sam Wanamaker, who you know, is responsible for the Globe Theater being recreated in London. Awesome. Yeah. That was his dream for that to happen. But he directed and played Macbeth and I was Macduff's son. And uh, basically, it was just very exciting. And, and th- then I get killed by these robbers who come in and I go, they've killed me, mother, they've killed me, mother. And it was a revolving stage, which was very noisy. <laughs> I'm supposed to just lay out there on the stage and wait until it does a total turn into the darkness and run off. Okay. But one day, I got up too early. <laughs> I got up and I, you know, ran off in full view of the audience. And then I ran to Chris, the stage manager, and I was crying. I was like, oh no, I'm gonna be fired. I'm gonna be fired. I got off in the light. They could see me. 
Uh-huh. And he's like, don't worry about it. And he gave me an apple. <laughs> and then another exciting experience at Goodman was in Caesar and Cleopatra, where I played Ptolemy, king of Egypt, who was Cleopatra's younger brother. And in those days in Egypt, the brother and sister had sex together. That was the Egyptian way, the royalty, you know. Kept it in the family. Exactly. Yeah. And she, in real life, felt very threatened and didn't want the brother to be there. So she had him drowned. Okay. But Carrie Snodgrass, a wonderful actress who went to Goodman Theater, played Cleopatra. And that's kind of how she got discovered. Then she went to Hollywood after that. So she was very good to me, and we had a really positive, playful relationship, even though she hated my character's guts. And I just sit there in full Egyptian body paint and elaborate eye makeup like Nefertiti. I look like Nefertiti. That's how the Egyptian kings dressed. Sure. And Joe Montaigne was one of the soldiers, and he would help me with my makeup in the dressing room. He was just a student at Goodman Theater. And he would help me. And then we we remained friends after that. And then when he was doing hair at the Schubert Theater, my parents and I were sitting in the audience. At the end, they invite the audience to come up and dance on stage. And no one was doing it. And he went to the front of the stage. He went, Ben, Shirley, Ricky, get up here and boogie. So my parents and I got up and stage and dance with the hair cast and uh, then great. a few people came up the audience was very shy so those are very happy yeah memories and yeah i have to i have to just interject because of the scenario uh carrie snodgrass um story because i hadn't i don't remember hearing that before from you i don't remember oh. that story and i was in two plays with carrie snodgrass you were goodman and she we were very good friends she was one of my favorite people <sighs> Uh, and what were you uh, in? Well, in Galileo, yeah. Um, she, I was the crown prince Medi- Medici, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I had and she was my lady in waiting, so I was a kid, and she would she took me out, and and we were presented to you know, I had to listen to Galileo talk about his thing, and I had one great line, which was, you know, is there something wrong about my stars? You know, oh. I, I was, you know, the universe, right. And, you know, she would say, oh, no, 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 you're, you know, but anyway, I don't think she even had a line. She just had to, you know, walk in and walk out. She was a student at Goodman. She was a good, yeah, again, at Goodman. And then um, in All the Way Home, where where, uh, Ben Spiegel, I think. Yes, I saw that production. Oh, it was a wonderful production. But three or four uh, others of us from Jack and Joe played this like street kids who were giving Ben a hard time all the time, you know. And so again, though, it got to spend some time with Carrie. And anytime, you know, I was killing some time downtown and I'd, I'd run down to Goodman and just hang out with some of the people. And she was always, you know, willing to spend some time with me as we're, you know. Yeah, she was us. wonderful. Yeah. So. And my mother and I saw her when she'd come back from L.A. And she was, it was between her and Liza Minnelli for the sterile cuckoo, Alan Pakula flew her to L.A. to screen test for that role. And then they, they went with Liza Minnelli, who, of course, was a big star, or yeah, a bigger yeah. star than Carrie Snodgrass. Sure. Although she made a, you know, she did 
She was nominated for the Academy Award. Yeah, for uh, Diary of a Mad Housewife. Housewife. That's what everybody remembers her for. And unfortunately, she just, you know, died far too young. And um, cancer. And she was with Neil Young. Yeah. She, uh, I don't know if they were married or they were living. I think they were married. Yeah. So, um, so she, you know, she had a a short but brief career and she's very talented. and, And we all miss the fact that she's not yeah. here with us but um so well let's conclude i think that was great that uh, to hear some of your theater experiences and um let's just conclude with some my usual chicago story questions which are uh let's see italian beef or um hot dog hot dog Hot dog. Oh, because your dad, so you, you were <laughs> you were weaned out on the hot dogs. <laughs> okay, hot dog right away. Great. And then uh pizza, thick or thin? Thin. I know it's not Chicago, forgive me, but I, I like thinner. Those better. of us who grew up on the South Side believe thin crust is Yeah, we th- it wasn't there on the it South. It wasn't a thing. No. Gino's really was downtown and yeah, yeah, exactly. So um both fairly predictable answers. So uh, anything else you'd like to, to uh, interject or um, share with us before we conclude? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, first, I want to thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And basically, I just want people to know that, you know, my message of working with people, whether it's through my sessions, through my book, through my show, is that no matter how old you are, you can express your creativity and you can go beyond your limits and you can put yourself out there. You know, maybe you won't become a star, but, you know, I just encourage people, paint, learn a musical instrument, take an acting class, take a dance class, you know, put yourself out there, express your creativity because there's incredible joy in that and you're not too old. Beautiful. I can't imagine that I could say anything better than that. So I'm just going to say thanks again for being here. Thanks for everybody for listening. You're listening to chicagobroadcastingnetwork.com. You can find us wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We're going to conclude with just another um, another one of your acapella songs uh, from from the Breaker reviews. and, uh, And we'll just sort of go off with that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Most friends fade or they don't make the grade. New ones are quickly made. And in a pinch, sure, they'll do. But us, old friend, what's to discuss, old friend? Here's to us, who's like us, damn few. Thank you.